Got your Bible or some electronic device. You'll be looking at the Scriptures with us this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 11. If you haven't been with us before or if you haven't been here very often, um, one of the things we do is we, we're typically preaching through a book, um, just kind of chapter by chapter, taking however many weeks or months are necessary to work our way through it. Um, and, and then even with our worship, Right, we if you're like, why did we only sing two songs? Um, we do save the bulk of the worship um, through song after the sermon because we want to worship to God how He, in whatever He's revealed to us this morning, how He's most clearly and regularly speaks to us is through His Word, and as He reveals Himself, we want to then have opportunity to worship in response to that revelation. So, if you have uh, your Bible, we're going to begin in Luke 11 beginning in verse 33. It says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. All right, we're going to stop there um, for the moment. Um, that, that section, although um, talking a lot about light, can feel a little bit convoluted. And it's important for us to tie this short section um, of Luke 11 into where we were last week, right, where the crowds are continuing to desire more and more signs from Jesus, right? They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal. They've seen him raise the dead. Like these things are happening, and they continue to just ask for more and more signs. And so he had told them, "Listen, you're going to get right the sign of Jonah, this sign of preaching of of judgment, um, and 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 but a call to repentance prior to the judgment." And he continues here with, "Listen, you're wanting signs." Let me tell you something, right? And so he stops them and he says, the goal of a lamp is what? It's to illuminate. It's to guide. It's to to make the room bright so that those there can see. And so he says, when you light an oil lamp and you set it somewhere, you wouldn't cover it up because that's defeating the purpose of the light. It's meant to show what's happening in the room. It's meant to guide your path. And what Jesus is telling them and what he's telling us this morning is this. He says, I'm working out in the open. Like, I'm doing these things in front of you and before you, right? Like, so that you can see who I am and what I'm calling you to, right? Where I'm, where I'm working and where I'm moving, and that I'm showing you that I am, right, the Messiah, the Christ. It's not hidden before you. And so this, some of the wording here in English is a little bit clunky, right? If we look in verses um, 34 and 35, when it says your eye is the lamp of your body, and, and really what Luke is saying here is that the eye is um, it, it's, it's representative of kind of what's going on in us internally, right? It, it, our, our hearts, our desires, our motives, our intentions. And physiologically, in this era, they would have believed that the light doesn't come into the eye, that it comes out of the eye. Like that it is revealing what's going on within, that it's showing out. And so what he's saying is this, is your eye is going to reveal whether there is darkness or light within you, right? It's, it's going to show this, and so a healthy eye is going to be light coming out. 
and a thick eye is going to be darkness. What he's asking them to do is he's saying, listen, you see the light. You see the things that I'm doing, the miracles that I'm doing. You hear the teachings that I'm giving. And how are you perceiving it? Are you seeing it as light or are you seeing it as darkness? Because it's going to reveal often what's happening in your own soul and in your own life. Ultimately, he says, what he's telling them is it's, it's a warning. I see you rejecting what I'm doing. You're seeing the signs, you're seeing the works, you're hearing the teaching, and you just want more, you're not actually receiving me. And the danger in that is then you're going to walk into darkness and away from the light. Listen to the warning um, the, that warning now in light of John chapter 9. This is verse 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, all right, right, the desires that they would see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to them, Are we also blind? Right, like it's kind of like, are you talking about us? And Jesus in verse 41 said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Right? He's saying, you, you do recognize, you do see that these things are taking place, that they are happening, and yet you're rejecting me, you're not trusting me, you're not following me. Right? So what you're showing is that from your eye, there's darkness, it's not light. Because I'm doing these things to illuminate that I'm the one sent by God to return us to God. So it's a warning. Verse 35 is really a call to self-examination. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. And so he's saying, like, check your own life, your own actions, your own heart. Right? Are you full of light or darkness in comparison not to others but to Jesus? It's a call to look in and reflect. And then verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light. And so we kind of have a progression here that he says, I'm the light, I'm calling you to see, right? If you then have the light that is me within you, right? Verse 36, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. And so he begins to bring us back to that same idea of a lamp, that it, when you have light within, it begins to shine out. This is where we see like in Matthew 5, that like we let our works right, shine before others. Right? Not that they would glorify or boast in us, but they would praise God. But he's saying when we are walking with, guided by um, God, when we've received the light that He has given in Christ, and we're walking in that, then we begin to reflect that same light to the world. Right? That our actions are ultimately revealing whether we are full of light or darkness, whether we know Jesus or we don't. Listen to a couple other passages and earlier in Luke chapter 1, we see this in verse 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, speaking of Jesus, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We were told that the promise was, was there was one coming to those who are in darkness. Right, This is John 1. Right, that we're in darkness, we're opposed and away from God, that there was one coming to us who was going to bring light, who was going to help us see and was going to illuminate our path, was going to take us back to the Father. 
right? And was also going to right, leave the Spirit in us. And as the Spirit is in us, then we begin to reflect the character, the image, and the light of God to a watching and waiting world. Also in John, but in John chapter 3, we see this. This is verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so it's the reminder that Jesus is bringing judgment and we're either drawn into the light or we, like, right, like cockroaches, run from it because we don't want to be exposed in what we're doing. And so he's drawing our intention, though, to our internal self and saying that our actions will then show whether we are walking in light or in darkness. Are we walking in it? Are we receiving it? Are we reflecting it? And then he illustrates it. So we're going to pick up now in verse 37 because he's going to show us this concept in terms of the religious leaders of the current day and age. Verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? But give alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers! For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So we have this strange scene here where, the, where the, a Pharisee has invited Jesus to come in to sit and to eat. Right? We've seen these mills already. And Luke, and there's tension, right, between the religious leaders and Jesus right now. They're, they're looking to trap him and to, um, to, to see if he's going to follow the law, right? They're always poking and prodding and testing. That's been consistent so far throughout Luke. 
And so the scene is, is that he's come in to eat a meal, and they're watching, and he doesn't wash his hands ceremoniously, right? And so this was not about hygiene, but one of the things the Pharisees would do, you'll still see this in, in Islam today, is that there's like a ritual washing of hands where you wash your hands a certain number of times before doing different tasks. And it's not about hygiene, right? It's about being ritually pure and clean. It's not required in the law. And so they see him, they watch, they notice he doesn't wash his hands in this way. And so you can almost imagine that the room is thick, like the air is thick with tension of like, man, what, what's going to happen here in this moment? So maybe if you grew up in church, depending on your denominational background or your church preference when you were a kid, maybe you can think through some of these moments that are not scriptural commands, but they're traditions, right, or the expectations of your local church that if you heard that someone crossed it, you're like, oh, there's going to be conflict now, right? There's going to be a problem. Um, maybe a couple of the more prominent ones would be um, wearing a hat in church, right? Right, and so that's, that's nowhere in Scripture. It's not an issue, right? It's nowhere in Scripture. But somewhere in our past, right, the church just determined, hey, you shouldn't do that. Okay? But there's not Scripture. And so then you'll see people, um, and you'll hear stories about deacons who have knocked people's hats off or people who have made these um, unkind comments to someone wearing a hat. Or maybe it's in how you dress, Right? And, and you dress to the nines, and when someone comes in and they're not dressed, you're like, right? You start to look at them and go, you should know better. And, and, and the point of these things, right, is to, to separate those who know from those who don't know, those who fit in from those who don't. It's a, it's a means of superiority, um, and you can begin to rationalize that, well, I, I want to honor the Lord with my, my dress and my, my, my respect. And you have your reasons for doing it, and Jesus actually doesn't condemn them for if they have reasons for doing it, that's okay. But he's saying you can't then put that on someone else. If there's not a scriptural mandate, you can't dictate that to someone else. And so they wanted him to wash their hands to keep their rules, not God's rules, right? And, and we've seen churches do this. You can probably think of examples in your own experience where churches have created rules that weren't in Scripture to separate those who know from those who don't. But Jesus quickly then lays out what he considers important and lays out the differences. Look at verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he didn't first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Like, not great... Um, like light dinner conversation, right? He's like, man, you worry about the outside, and it is spotless. Inside, it's pretty gross. And right, you think about this receiving a drink. If you go to lunch today at a restaurant, right, is you, you're not looking at the outside as much as you're looking at the inside. If there's something floating in your cup, that matters to you, right? If there's filth on the inside of your cup, you're not, right, you, you don't want that. And he's saying, your outside looks spotless and clean, and you've done a good job, but inside you're full of wickedness, right? And listen to what he says. You fools. Did he, meaning God, who made the outside, make the inside also? He's saying they need to be consistent. That how we present ourselves is who we should be. And who we are on the outside is, right, going to come out. 
that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That we cannot hide um, what's going on internally for long. It's going to be seen and known that we need to be consistent. And so he continues. So I want you to give, he, listen, he says, as alms, those things that are from within. So giving alms was their way to, to take care of um, the poor, the destitute, those who were in need. And it was a way to bring your upper echelons of society and your lower echelons of society together. That you saw a need and you practically met that need. You, you saw them and you showed dignity and care and mercy and justice. Right? You met that need. And so he says that sort of behavior, that sort of action is what needs to be happening on the inside. That if you're doing that internally, then it will flow out. If you're only doing it externally, it may not be revealing who you actually are. But you won't be able to hide it for long. So, he wants them to show concern and show mercy, actual justice, not pretend justice. And so he then pronounces six woes. These woes are they're warnings, right? They're, they're, they're grief, they're sadness over the way things are because that's not how they should be, right? And so he begins, Woe to you Pharisees, the whole group, right? You tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's important to note he doesn't condemn their tithing here. He simply says, you're focusing on the minutiae of the law, right? Rather than the actual call of God to love others. So in Deuteronomy 14, we go back to the law. The, the tithe is laid out, beginning in verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Right? And he continues with some, some detail. And then he gives them the why. But look at verse 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So he says, I want you to tithe. Here are the things you're going to tithe. And you're going to do it because it cares for people. It provides excess so that people can be taken care of. Here, right, they're tithing not just the things they're supposed to tithe. They're tithing excess, extra, like their, their mint and their herbs and, and, and this minutia. And so they're doing it to say, look, they keep the law and then some. Look how great they are. He says, but you've forgotten the point of the tithe. Justice, mercy, compassion. Right? You're supposed to care about people. And you're doing this and lording it over them. And you have forgotten to care for those who are in need. 1 Samuel 15.22 reminds us right, that it is better to obey than to sacrifice. That we can do the right religious thing and if our motivation behind it is wrong, then we haven't done it right. That what God wants is our hearts, not just our, our outward actions that would reveal right that we might actually not be following Him in the manner that we claim to be. We see in Hosea 6, verse 6, 
For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is not a new idea Jesus is reminding them of. Like Scripture has been telling them this forever. Also, Micah uh, chapter 6, um, verse uh, 6 and 7 and 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus is reminding them here, you've taken the law, you've added to it, and you posture yourselves as holy and elite, and you've forgotten to do it. You're not obeying God. You're not pleasing or honoring Him. Woe to you. He continues with a second woe in verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. He says, you love to be honored and to be affirmed. Right? You want people to see you and to speak out to you. You're not asking them to praise God. You're not looking to serve. You're looking to be seen and glorified yourself. A third woe. Verse 44. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. This one is, is potentially would be, have been the most damning to a Pharisee. Right? Graves had to be marked, because if you were to touch a grave, right, it, it made you impure. And he says, listen, you yourselves are unmarked graves. You're leading people to impurity. They are ritually unclean because of you. When you think you are the, like the, the example, you're actually you're leading them astray. You're leading them away from me. You're leading them to death. Through your law and your burden, it is not reflective of what God has actually asked of you. And so then we have someone who doesn't read the room well. And this lawyer says in verse 45, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Right? And you can almost imagine the scene right where he's sitting there and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. I, I, Jesus, if, if, you're, well, if all that you're saying is true, then you're, you're not just insulting them, you're insulting me too. You couldn't have meant that. Right? It, it's like you're, getting your, you're talking to your kids, they're in trouble, and one of your kids goes like, you don't mean me. Right? Like, you, you, mean, you mean them, right? You're like, mm, it's all of you, right? It's all of you. Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And Jesus doesn't miss a beat. It's like you can almost imagine, woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees. Jesus, hey, what about me? Woe to you lawyers, right? And probably other lawyers in the room going, dude, shut up. Like, we were like you could the room is probably going I don't want him talking to me right now this is uncomfortable and Jesus just turns and says in verse 46 woe to you lawyers also for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers right what is he saying here You're making the law and the Word of God too complicated, too hard to understand. You're adding things on top of things on top of things, and the people are being crushed by the burden, and you're okay with it. You're not helping them understand. 
You're not removing the burden. You're not showing them that the Word of God is meant to bring you to life and to hope and to joy. You are crushing them. And you're okay with it. Right? What does Jesus tell us? That His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So come to Me, you who are tired and weary. Come and find rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So He continues. They get three woes as well. We then see... Verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. You're witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your father, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. So here's, here's what he's saying. He's like, listen, you think you wouldn't have killed the prophets that came before you. Like your dads did it, your granddads did it, but you wouldn't have. And so you build tombs, and you remember them, right? And you, and you honor them. And what Jesus is accusing them of here is he's saying, Right? You only celebrate dead prophets. Because when they're alive, they're offensive. And you think you wouldn't have done it, you would have done it. How do we know you're going to do it? Because you're about to do it. Right? Jesus is going to go to the cross. Like Luke is setting the stage for us to see that there is animosity, there is open conflict now between the religious elite and rulers who do not like what Jesus is doing and saying about them. And it is going to culminate in him going to the cross and being killed by men in this wicked generation who are going to do what their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers did, kill the messengers of God. And Jesus is telling them, listen, we, you're not surprising us. We knew this was the plan. Verse 49, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. And so he says, listen, you, Abel was killed, right, by Cain. And then he goes to Zechariah, and, he, and he's quoting here from Second Chronicles. It's less of an A to Z, right? That's what you want to go with, A to Z. But it's, it's the first book of Scripture, Genesis, right? To Second Chronicles, which would have actually ended the Old Testament text at that point. It was the last book. And so the last recorded death would have been Zechariah. So listen to this story briefly in Second Chronicles chapter 24. It's an obscure story. Verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 20. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and he said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. But they conspired against Him, and by command of the king, they stoned Him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness of Zechariah's father had shown him, but he killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. And so Jesus is saying, Listen, from Abel to Zechariah, throughout the Old Testament, you've killed him. You've done it. And you're going to do it again. Right? Like you're going to do it again. I'm warning you. Turn and repent. This doesn't have to be the way. Listen, we can think of a modern example of this. Right? Listen, Martin Luther King Jr., right? Would have been, right? We, we, on this side of this, we can say we would have celebrated, we would have believed, we would have trusted, we would have understood, we would have said he was good. Right? Very likely not. And so that, that, like, that's hard to hear and it's offensive, right? We're not saying that Martin Luther King Jr. is a, a prophet, 
in, in line of Scripture here, but what we're saying was that people can stand up and say things, right? And they can be offensive and be killed for it. They can be killed for it. And then we celebrate them. And Jesus is telling them, this is what you've done. And you think that they, that's what they did, your ancestors? I'm telling you, it's who you are as well. So the final woe is this, down in verse 52. So woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. The way this is said in John, right, is that you, see, you sought me in the Scriptures, and you've missed me. He's saying you have the law, you have the Scriptures before you. You're supposed to be the scribes, the Pharisees, those who are helping the people understand to recognize and see the coming Messiah. And he's like, you've missed it. And now you're causing others to stumble because you're telling them to follow you and not me. Like, you're missing it. And you're making others miss it. You didn't enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. And so this section ends. And he went away from there. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait to catch him in something he might say. Listen, they look and say, okay, that did not go well for us. That did not go well. How are we going to get this guy? What are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to stop him? And we are seeing the stage set for the cross. So a couple things as we finish Luke 11 this morning. This passage is a call to self-examination, right? For the scribes, the Pharisees, for those who are listening, but it's also a call to self-examination for us this morning. What do we do? How do we respond? How do we react to what Jesus is asking? Are we full of darkness or light? Right? Are we walking with Jesus or are we covering things up? Listen, Jesus is saying that if we know Him, if we trust Him, if we're walking with Him, then we're going to be about people. What has Jesus done? He's been healing. He's been rescuing. He's been um, casting out. And in every situation, the religious leaders go, oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, we don't like that. Oh, we're judging you for that. Right? We know that we're full of light, that we're full of Jesus, that we're walking in the light if we're about people. If we see them and their need, have compassion for them. Because that's what Jesus did. We're reflecting His character and His image. Listen, a, sin, a Christian sinning is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we use our Christian behavior, our language, our words to cover up our sin. Because in that, we're not trusting that there is grace. We're not trusting that there is forgiveness, that there is hope, that there is peace. Right? And so the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are hypocrites because they're covering up that they're inside, they're filthy and dirty and opposed to God with their religious behavior by doing a little more externally than is asked of them. So the question for us this morning is, do we use the knowledge we have of God, the things that we do, our church attendance, to, to hide behind and to cover up so that you don't look too closely as to what's really going on in my, my heart, in my life, in my mind? Right? It's a call to check that. 
to confess our sin and to know that we will find grace and peace, that God's love and grace far outruns our sin. We have affection for Jesus. The Pharisees didn't have affection for Jesus. They opposed Him. They want to kill Him. When Jesus presses on us, do we find ourselves going, okay, yes, I submit to my Lord, or do we find ourselves justifying our actions? Right? What do we find there? Our actions are going to reveal whether we are full of light or whether we are full of darkness. And to look at Jesus and not respond is to respond. Right? It's what he's telling them. You have to make a decision. And there's no neutral, there's no fence, there's no gray. You're either going to follow and be guided by the light in this dark and broken world. I will illuminate your path, guide your steps, and you'll see clearly, or you'll be full of darkness and blind. And the final thing is this, is it is a call to trust Jesus. Not yourselves, not your works, not the things that you can do by your hands, not your religious abilities or attempts. It is a call to trust Jesus, that He has done what we've needed through His life, His death, and His resurrection for our good and for His glory. And so as we end with Luke 11 this morning, we're going to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to sing to our King who is alive and well. And then we have the Lord's Supper set up. And the Lord's Supper is a very visible reminder to us that it's not by our life that we've come to faith. Right? It's not by our actions. It's by the the broken body of God crushed for us. Right? And so we can take and eat of the bread because it's not our body that's broken. We can take and drink of the cup because it wasn't our blood that was spilt. It was Jesus's. And so in that, we self-examine and we ask ourselves this morning, is there any darkness in us? Is there any areas where we are being hypocrites? Is there any areas where we're not trusting Jesus, but we're trusting ourselves? And we confess those things and we repent and we will find grace and kindness of the Lord. And then we take of the bread and of the juice. We stand and we sing to our King or we sit and let the the, the Spirit minister to us. So there will be folks in the back of the room to talk with or to pray with. But let's respond this morning to our living King. Jesus, we come desperate for You. God, would we not hear the woes and the warnings of Luke 11 as merely for the scribes and the Pharisees and for those other people? Would we hear them directed at us to examine ourselves, to check our motives, to check our our intent, to check our hearts? So God, would you do the work um, of, of heart spiritual surgery right now to reveal areas that are displeasing to you, that we would confess them and not be crushed by them, that we would trust that your grace is sufficient and forgiveness is ours in Christ. Jesus, we need more of you. We ask you to give us eyes to see. God, would we have light in our eyes and not darkness? Would we trust and follow you? In Jesus' name. Amen.